Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on? Jermaine Johnson. Tune in to Turn On The Jets podcast. Hey, this is Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals. Make sure you tune in to the Turn On The Jets podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a second-time guest, we got Jets Seahawks week, Michael Sean Zugar. How, Mike, uh, Michael, how are we doing today, man? I'm, do- I'm doing good, man. Uh, Jets and Seahawks are both on big slides, but it doesn't matter. Like I told you last week, it's a big game for both. It's a winner-go-home game, so I'm always a fan of those. Yeah, no, we, I think both of us kind of talked, we've talked about this for probably, I guess, really like nine or ten months now, but even before the Jets and Seahawks kind of schedule came out of like, hopefully this game would matter and kind of looked like in the beginning of the year, maybe it mattered for the Jets, probably wouldn't matter for the Seahawks. They kind of felt like they were in a semi-rebuild and now we're looking at it and both teams, although they're sliding, um, they're very much in position to, you know, have a chance to make the playoffs if they win out. So a lot of storylines here, I guess, you know, we'll get to the Geno and Tariq Woolen and Sauce and all that stuff first, but kind of what's been going on with the Seahawks the last couple of weeks is I believe they were seven and four, similar to the Jets, and now all of a sudden they find themselves 7-8, and eight, and it's kind of on the outside looking in at the playoff picture. Yeah, they had a four-game win streak where they beat the Cardinals, the Giants, the Chargers, and then the Cardinals again. They got to 6-3 and three before they went to Munich, and then they just had this ridiculous regression in the trenches on both sides, and it it's really been the story of the, the team. It's one that like people were kind of pointing to Geno a little bit because his numbers have dipped in that span too. But if you look at it, they they suddenly became the worst run defense in the league, like them and the Texans in that span. So since week 10, they became like the worst run defense and then like the worst run offense. Uh, and it's like, they're not maybe 32nd in every category, but you get what I'm saying. Like they just, they fell off a cliff to the extreme. Uh, just as soon as the week 10 trip to Germany hit, it's been very weird. And everyone knows, like you can't win any football games like that. Every team has some flaws, some things they don't do great. But if you're not stopping the run and you can't run it, you'll have a hard time beating Georgia. You know, like it's just very hard to 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 function in that way. No quarterback. I don't care if you're Mahomes or Josh Allen or who Lamar, some of these guys that have carried, you know, not uh, that can just carry a team with their 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 gifts. Herbert too. Like no one can do that without a run game, and your other team can't stop the run because that means you're probably gonna have to drop back a shit ton. Uh, you're gonna go three and out quite a bit. And the other team's going to be on the field for a long ass time because they're getting first downs on the ground. So it's just a recipe for for failure. It's actually a surprise these guys haven't got their ass kicked a lot more. 
when you think about it, like if I just told you, hey, man, a team's terrible at stopping the run and they can't run the ball, you'd be like, oh, they're the Texans, you know, pr- pretty much. The fact that the Seahawks are even in the playoff hunt, despite those two fatal flaws, is pretty bad or it's pretty impressive. But that's why they're a team that started six and three and then has fallen to seven and eight. It's funny you mentioned that the, the Jets had not the same issues, but have had some of the issues where trench plays, especially offensively, obviously defensive line, outside of last week where it wasn't great uh, and against Detroit, but the offensive line's been a mess. They've had a million injuries, obviously familiar with George Fitt and Dwayne Brown better than most people. Uh, Dwayne Brown's playing on one shoulder at age 40, and the run blocking is certainly taking a hit there. Um, he's been better in pass pro, but George Fan came back. He struggled. Nate Herbig has a nice kind of six-man swing guard type of player and started off well and then hasn't really played great recently. Lincoln Tomlinson's not had a good year, um, you know, whatsoever. It's a contract that you hope with everyone else back next year and healthy that he plays much closer to the 17 million he's going to be owed. Um, and Connor McGovern's a nice player, but their offensive line struggled. Jets special teams have been abysmal the last four or five weeks, really the last eight weeks. And it's part of the reason they're like three and five or two and six is because they give up a punt return for a touchdown twice. That basically is the difference in games. They miss kicks. Their punting game is atrocious. So that's a problem. And then, you know, obviously everyone's pretty well versed in, in the Zach Wilson debacle and um you know that's that's been going on getting you know bottom three first round quarterback last 25 pick or in the first round picks the last 25 years play um i guess obviously there's a bunch of storylines here let's start with the geno smith and the seahawks side of it there's a lot of guys from you know on that seahawks team the jamal adams we don't get that unfortunately we don't get a a second time of jamal adams versus the jets but Geno Smith obviously playing against his former uh, the team that took him. Well, I've seen the second round. Pete Carroll used to be a coach for the Jets. There's a lot of a lot of storylines there. I guess uh, let's start with that. Yeah, I think the the Geno one is uh, Geno's going to probably play it down uh, when he speaks on Thursday afternoon. Uh, but I mean, he's kind of been on a little revenge tour. He beat the Chargers, played for them for a year. Beat the Giants, uh, played played for them for a year, and then obviously the Jets stuff didn't go really well. I was fascinated by. Um, you know what's interesting about Gino is I did a feature on him that ran the day after he made the Pro Bowl. Um, and I focused the, the framing of it on how Gino feels about himself. He's been very confident. And I was read to do that, I had to go back and read some of the Jet stuff because I was in college when he got drafted. Um, and it was really fascinating to see A, the difference between how media coverage looks in New York and other cities. Good God, he was getting hammered. Um, but like he he was always really confident in himself. I think the, in 2014 he said he's like got Pro Bowl potential or said he's like a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. And I, I think it was a Daily News article. I was a column. He just got smoked after he said that. I think like Rex Ryan had to like apologize and be like, hey, yeah, he didn't mean it like that. And that's just crazy when you think about it. Like your head coach has to come out and just basically denounce the, your confidence. It's like that's that's pretty crazy. But it it spoke to just how Gino has felt about himself the whole way, you know, he, he was, he, he went to the the Giants and was like, I'm gonna take Eli's job. And he did for a game. Um, and then he got, uh, I think he, he couldn't take Rivers' job because Rivers is Iron Man and doesn't miss jobs. Same thing with, with Russ, but he had that confidence the whole way. And it really was there in New York. Now he was throwing the ball to the team. So it wasn't super justified you know, with the Jets, but um, just the confidence that he's had in himself, I think is why he hasn't really worried about sticking it to some of these other franchises because it's been more about proving himself right than it's been about proving those franchises wrong. Um, perhaps with the exception of the people who fired Ben McAdoo. He, 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 did, he, didn't, he didn't like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, the, that part of the Gino is not like super spiteful. At least I don't think so. My read on him is not that. And it's because 
he's always believed in himself so much, even when no one else did. So now it's just like, I, I'm just, I'm just going to beat everybody. It don't matter whether you believed in me or you didn't, you know? Yeah. I don't, I, maybe this is revisionist history, but like, I don't really know how mad Gino could be at the Jets. Like the way it ended, like, you, you know, you got your job taken by a guy who got really hot and almost led them to the playoffs and, you know, Fitz is a tornado, obviously, when he comes into town and, yeah. you know, for better or worse, but, you know, Gino lost his job due to his own issues. And that's, you know, that's, that's where I just don't think it's, it's not like a, I'm not saying that Sam Darnold could be mad at the Jets because Sam wasn't great either in New York, but like the Jets didn't support him in any way, shape or form. So it was like, Oh, maybe the Jets kind of did me dirty a little bit. They, you know, brought in a bad coach or whatever. Yes. There were some things the Jets didn't do well either when Gino was here, but, when you get your jaw broken by a teammate because you wouldn't pay for like whatever that was like that type of stuff and, and stupid and looking back on it, it's just crazy that stuff happened and the Jets actually were successful that year but yeah I think it's been also been such a long time I mean nobody's really there from that like it's you know it's eight years you know, later what's a fun what's a fun what if though in that I wonder if Jets fans feel this way if he just played the 2015 season because yeah, I was looking like, at the there was so much the roster was so much better than just even the 2014 roster like the receivers and everything like it's no surprise Fitz played well I think Gino could have played similarly just as well would have yeah. been great I mean maybe talking about Gino having you know being the second best Jets quarterback in franchise history at this point because of how long it's been but um obviously Pete Carroll this stuff is, is so long ago there's a lot of stuff and the Jamal Adams trade it's look it, it clearly has worked out for the Jets they've got Garrett Wilson AV2 or two guys that you know, are going to be pro bowl, pro level players for a long time. And Jamal Adams is a nice player and he got his paycheck and that's what he wanted. And no, no shame in that. Like you can't control injuries and things of that nature. What we can talk about is that there's a lot of current guys that, you know, sauce downplayed it this week. And I know Tariq Wood's probably going to downplay it, but like there is a rivalry between Jets fans and Seahawks fans, which I don't think it used to be a rivalry. I think right now it actually like Jets fans and Seahawks fans are looking into a little bit. They both have had, very hyper talented Pro Bowl level corner, Pro Bowl corners. I guess they're not Pro Bowl level. They are Pro Bowlers at this point. Two of the top three guys who finished for Defensive Rookie of the Year. The offensive side, the Garrett Wilson, Kenneth Walker stuff, and Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker stuff. We probably would have had a lot of Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, who's better conversations if you know Brees was healthy. But let's start with Tariq and Sauce. I know you wrote you wrote about it a lot. I'm sure your mentions are flooded with it constantly. Anytime you bring up either player, I guess what's your read on both guys and how exciting is this kind of rivalry of two young guys at, you know, 21 years old being this, this good this early? I think the, in general, just big picture on their draft classes this year, it is a, a fascinating case study on just like, um, I, I, I think people get too caught up in like draft order because there's literally never been a draft in which the order the guys are drafted is how good they are. That's literally never happened. And the, the Seahawks class and the Jets class is just such a great example. Like the Seahawks have candidates for offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year, and neither of them were picked in the top 40, you know, whereas like the Jets, two guys who are in those clubs, were probably going to win those two awards were two top 10 picks. That's not the knock on the Jets. You should get those talented players um, in those Jets. But it's like where you really can build like a, a great team, too, is if you can get those type of players outside of the top 40, top 50 or, or whatever. So I think that's been really impressive. And it's just been kind of a good case to look at how the draft can go. Like it does. It's nice to have two top 10 picks. That's great. That's fantastic. But you can get an Abe Lucas a starting caliber right tackle at pick 70 something, or you can get offensive rookie of the year potential and Ken Walker with, I think he's picked 41. So I just think it's been fun to look at their two drafts because they probably had the best two drafts of the of any teams in the NFL, and they just went about it in very different ways, and it just shows you there's you know more than one ways to skin a cat. It's um, a very weird phrase when you think about it. It is a, uh, it is a weird phrase, <laughs> phrase, but I use it too, and I don't know why. 
I just used it and I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? Anyway, um, so I, with Tariq and Sauce though, um, it's been it's been really great watching those two. I was just telling the homie DJ Ben and me, I know Jets fans know him. I was just like, yo man, I could make an argument those are the two best corners in football in 2022. Like just, just for isolate this season, the numbers that they're putting up, like what happens, one of my favorite stats for corners right now is um, Hawk rate. It says uh, Next Gen Stats has it. It's essentially just passes defense divided by targets. So it's not like super fancy, but like Tariq is leading the league or leading all cornerbacks in t- at 25%. So that means one, every, one out of every four times you throw it at Tariq, he either catches it or knocks it down. That's absurd. You know who's number two? Sauce <laughs> at 23%. Like 23% is also very high. I can't tell you one out of however many times that is. I'm not that great at math, but I know that's a shit ton. And like that's that's the most impressive thing to me for corners. Shutting down one side of the field is great, but as I keep trying to remind Jets fans that that's the main argument they use for sauce, among other ones, but the main one, at least I get in my mentions. That is not inherently a win for the defense if you're just not targeted. They could easily just throw it somewhere else and touch score a touchdown. It could be a sack, it could be a pick six, could be a touchdown, they could get a first down, the quarterback could scramble. There's a million possibilities when you're just when one guy is just not targeted. However, if he's targeted and knocks that shit down or catches it, we don't have to imagine anything. We know the defense won the down. Un, you know, undoubtedly they won the down. So I think that's why what you do when you are targeted stands out to me um, so much. Um, and I, I know as much, I know you're a big Revis guy, I am too. You can use that same argument for Revis too. Like it's not just Revis just shut down guys too. Like he did make plays on the ball uh, when it came. His ball skills were, him and Patrick Peterson could have been receivers to me. Like they could, they just tracked the ball so fucking good. So uh, I think Sherm too. So I think that's what stands out to me with those guys. Like, yeah, they're not getting targeted. They're playing really good coverage. But they're, they're, when the ball does come their way, whether in run support or uh, in the air, they're just making, making plays on it, man. That's tough to do in this league uh, with, the, with the way these freaky receivers are and the way these passing concept works and all these 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 switch releases and tight formations. It ain't like when Revis was playing, they just lined their X receiver outside the numbers and just say, hey, bump and run, my boy, go. No, that's not how it works now. Now they're, there's all this play action stuff and the, the, the coverages are more complex too. So yeah, Sauce and Tariq, man, I could really make an argument. Those have been the two best corners in 2022 and those guys are, what, Tariq's 23? How old is Sauce? 28, 21. That's insane, man. Those could be the two best corners. Them, them and uh, James Bradbury have been probably been the three best corners in football. That's insane. Which is crazy. Look, th- I think that I remember watching Tariq at the senior bowl and being like, okay, this dude's super fast. He's really uniquely built, like built for a corner. Sauces too. They're both huge. Like that's, what's even crazier is you just don't see guys move like that at that size. Usually it's, you're really fast, but you're not quick or you're really quick, but you're not fast. There's always like that, you know, it's the same thing with receiver. That's why like what made Calvin and Julio, these guys that like, just doesn't make any sense that they can move the way they can you expect the Justin Jefferson and you expect, yeah. you know, Jalen Ramsey to move the way he does. But what's, been, what's impressed me is that they're very, they've been, de- their eyes have been disciplined, their techniques. Tariq Woolen needed so much work on his technique coming out of college. Cause he, again, he was a college receiver in the beginning, which obviously if you're six, four and run a four two, basically like <laughs> that's, what's going to happen. But you know, transitions to the corner, his press techniques gotten better. He's like, he's just been smart. Like I, I don't, you don't see these blown coverages I kind of expected with him early on. I was like, he's probably going to get beat a bunch on technique and make up for it. But, you know, sauce is the same thing. Like anytime sauce gets beat, quote unquote, which rarely happens, they have such good closing speed, which again, it's just so rare at that size. You know, I, I don't get to watch Treacle and week in, week out, obviously the same way, but 
you know, I try to watch as much as I can because I, you know, if I'm going to be in the arguments with it, I have to at least, at least know somewhat of what I'm talking about. But yeah, you know, like I, I just think the you know last game, it's like it gets memed everywhere. Sauce gave up a like the guy had inside Evan Ingram had inside leverage and was in the slot or outside and ran like a drive route, which is literally you just run straight across the field. It's not like there's nothing you could do about it. And he gave up like yards. And everyone's like, Oh, sauce sucks. I'm like, dude, he gave, he gave a first down. Like we can, we relax. Um, but that's when, you know, you've made it for these, both these guys. It's, you know, the George Kittle touchdown may or may not have been three Woolen's fault. I'm not really sure. I that, that was on re That was on re yeah. yeah. Right. But like it's a crazy play call and it's like Tariq equal it also sucks it's like i don't know man i think they're both pretty good i know they like we didn't you know obviously didn't get to see a full year Brees hall but both those guys too to be this good at the running back i know sometimes running backs are much easier but they're both put up great they've been all put up really impressive numbers um you know obviously in year one both fat injuries but you know nonetheless the tape's very very impressive yeah, no, I love I loved watching Brees, man. Like it was he he got going before Tariq, and I think it was a Pro Football Focus tweet, maybe after like week six or something, was like, "Hey, who's the best rookie running back? Who's offensive rookie? Of the-? No, who's the best rookie running back?" It was Damian Pierce, Brees, and Ken. And at the time, Ken only made like one start, so it wasn't even that crazy. But I think I quote tweeted and I was like, "Hey, man, let's revisit this at the end of the year." Because it's going to be interesting. And unfortunately, the very next week is when Brees got hurt, I believe. But that next week is also when Ken had like 120 yards or something like that against the Chargers. It's like, see, like, no, Ken, Ken's got the skills. And in the case of, I don't watch Damian as much. He seems to be a little bit more of a bruiser. But with Brees and Ken, it's like you give them a crease and they could take it to the house from anywhere. And I think that that's that. What, what, what pick was Brees taking? 30 something? 30. They traded up to 38. Okay, so it was in the 30s. Yeah, so the Seahawks basically... 36, 36, whatever. Yeah, the Seahawks, um, I just knew it was before Ken because the Seahawks had two guys on the draft board. It was like, all right, we need a running back. We'll take one in the second round. It's either going to have to be this Brees kid or this Ken, Kenneth Walker kid. When the Jets took Brees, it was like, well, we're going to take Kenneth Walker or we're just not going to take a back. Um, and then Ken, Ken got to them at 41 because they knew early on, like, those two guys are the guys. Now, I would have had Damian in there coming out too. I loved Damian Pierce. Um, he was... He just you can't tackle bowling ball type type guy. But yeah, those those three, as long I hope they stay healthy, which is you know, fingers crossed for running backs, because they're they're all just so explosive, particularly with Brees and Ken. Like the ability that like it's like Saquon in New York too, like the ability to never really know when a first and ten handoff from the 25 could be a touchdown. That's different. You know, that's not the same. As much as I like running backs in different flavors, like I like a Najee Harris, Marshawn Lynch, Le'Veon Bell, like maybe I'm patient. Yeah, you know, wider stance, you know, running run through a motherfucker's face. But I just also like the idea of like, man, it's second and four from the 37. This is just zone read, or not zone read, it's like inside zone. This could be a house call, you know? That's 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 special, man. That's like watching a, a, a batter, like you never really know when he's gonna go yard, man. That's that that just makes the, the game exciting. Yeah, no, look, they're they're both impressive backs. Both teams obviously rookie classes have been generational gets overused but like they they are they have potential to be special 2017 saints or i think it was 2017 yeah, 2017, 2017. yeah like level saints draft classes where you build a core for six seven years that you're just you basically can live off of every guy gets paid they're pro bowl level players everyone on the same that states draft class gets paid over 10 million dollars a year at this point which is nuts to think about they didn't miss on one guy um i want to kind of talk about a couple of you know, different matchups that we'll probably obviously see. You mentioned, you know, getting to watch from Mike White. What are your kind of thoughts on him coming back? And 
how much of an upgrade is it going to be or how much more difficult a task going to be for Seattle with Mike White versus versus Zach Wilson, obviously uh, very different players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I watched, I've watched Zach most of this year. I didn't watch him a ton his rookie year, uh, but the, and I've watched a little bit of Mike White. I watched I watched the games and then I've watched some film of Mike White, too, which is a very big difference because um, you can see what reads he's making or not making. Mike seems to get the ball to number one just pretty consistently wherever the number one is you know and as, as as someone who's talked to more coordinators and qb coaches i just see the value in that you know there was a guy i forget who it was like a few like a long time ago uh he had the, had a hot take that really got him cooked in seattle it was like i'd rather ha- if i was an offensive coordinator i'd rather have matthew stafford but if i was a defensive coordinator i'd be much more afraid of russell wilson um and i still kind of disagree with it but I get the now I kind of get the the genesis of a statement like that because it can be very frustrating when you're an OC and you you know you pull up this concept you got this cover four beater you get quarters and then your guy just doesn't see it or he he holds the ball misses it and and then you know takes a sack or whatever Zach's sack rate is really high this year and you know and then, or you get a concept where all right man read this read this uh, deep to short you know and then. First thing he does is throw the check down and misses the streak and streak and seam route, you know, and with Mike White, he's not, you know, Patrick Mahomes or anything. But when I'm watching, I'm saying, okay, he's going to where the ball is supposed to go more often than not. And as as I saw in the Bills game, like you do that, you'll move the rock. I didn't score a lot of points in that game, but you can you can move the ball if you just put it where it's supposed to go. Sometimes that'll be the check down. Sometimes that'll be the, the stop route for four yards, whatever. But if it's first and 10, you never go broke taking a profit. Sometimes it's a play action deep over, you know, uh, after you got a couple run plays in. Like, you can just see Mike has a good feel for like, all right, the ball's supposed to go here, take my drop, one, two hitch, whatever it is, whatever the call calls for it, get it to the guy, you know? And that's the basis. That's what you want your guys to start with, you know? That's why Justin Fields out here running around because he was not doing that. He was holding the ball and shit like that. Um, so you just want your guys to get the ball to number one. Let's start there. Then let's get you on some progressions. All right. Well, now we can start taking some shots, and then you're really, you're really cooking here. So with Zach, I just saw a guy who did, doesn't seem like he was trusting the offense, whatever. Well, you got you you guys in uh, Europe would know better than me, but it doesn't seem like he was trusting it, whereas Mike's just like, all right, coach, yeah, okay, my, my first read is the Z on this thing. All right, ball. All right, and, and next next snap. I I would like a quarterback like that if I was an OC because if you get to freelancing or holding the ball, you're you're skittish or whatever, you're either going to die back there or turn it over. And Zach's done both. Yeah. Uh, he's going to die back there, but he takes a lot of sacks and he turns it over. So you can see why that is. And I'm sure he probably gets maybe too much blame because he's in New York, but a lot of the blame based on what I'm seeing, yeah, Zach, Zach deserves it, man. Like he's, he's struggling when he doesn't have to struggle. That's not an offense you need to struggle in when you have Garrett Wilson. It's literally probably the easiest quarterback offense in the league. We've seen it all year. We've seen every single the Jets have had five five quarterbacks play for them in the last five years or last year and a half, I guess. And everyone else has operated the offense better. Chris Strebler operated the offense better the other night. Josh Johnson threw for three bills and three touchdowns, which is insane to think about last year. Obviously, Joe Flacco's had moments where he's, you know, the Browns game and things where he threw for three thirty and three touchdowns. And then obviously Mike White. The one thing with, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Mike White just gets through his progressions and gets through his reads and like he just ant- throws an anticipation. And that's something that this is a timing based offense and he throws the ball on time. Like that's just, that's the nature yeah. of the offense between five and usually between that five to 20 yard window, whether it's, you know, the short game or the intermediate game, it's all based all time. Obviously other stuff is too, but 
that's the basis of this offense. And, you know, you've seen it, obviously you see it twice a year at the Rams. You see it twice a year at the Niners. Like they're all the same versions of the same exact system. And like, it's like, they want to run the ball and outside and inside zone. And they want to hit you with every single ma- major concept of stuff over the middle specifically. And some stuff outside the, Mike White's better at throwing outside the numbers than Zach is just not something I think you would assume based on arm talent, but for whatever reason, <laughs> it's, you know, mechanics and, and stuff like that. We're obviously Garrett, you know, we've I hope we see some Garrett Wilson, Tariq Wool and stuff. We will. Oh yeah. Uh, is, is there? Do you feel like the Seahawks are going to try to? Is like that's the guy if you're if you're the Seahawks, like they're trying to take away because I feel like everybody else doesn't have as much of that big play. Like Garrett Wilson could take a ball, you know, a ten yard dig route and take it, you know, to the crib from you know sixty seventy yards away. What was the What was the game? Was it the Bears game? Bears was, game. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. Eddie, ja- Eddie Jackson just like got shot in the middle of the field and then he <laughs> he broke yeah, the guy's and- ankles. Yeah, I've been following the Jets. I was telling Zach this when he was on our podcast, Seahawks Man to Man. I was like, I've been randomly following the Lions, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Chargers. I have no connection to any of those teams. I've just been following them very closely, reading all the beat writers and everything. And so I follow the the, the, the Jets, man. Gary Wilson's the truth. He is very, very, very smooth. Um, I don't know if I have a pro comp quite yet, um, but he just is really, really smooth uh, in control. It's on. Uh, they're they're both young guys but like Devonte smith comes to mind Devonte's probably a little bit more ac- acrobatic um but garrett they both are just in control when they run their routes not a lot of wasted movement and then if you put the ball in their hands they're because they're in control when you're balanced when you catch the ball you can get the defenders off balance like it's it's simple but when you really break it down it's what it comes down to if you're catching it and leaning or whatever the hell you're gonna get knocked out or just fall down um garrett seems to be able to stay square so yeah i think the, the it's not that if they'll have Michael Jackson, their other corner, or Tariq follow Garrett, but it'll definitely be an emphasis in like, all right, he's going to catch the ball, tackle him. Like that's, that's the really big, big thing. It's almost like you, almost like a gadget player, like a, like how the Cardinals have like Rondell Moore, like, okay, he's going to catch the ball, but don't miss. That will be my coaching point to, to the Seahawks. Cause like that dude, he's got some wiggle to him. He's a very, very good player. I mean, was it the 10th pick? Like that's a, He's he's probably shouldn't win offensive rookie of the year, and he's just a, he's a solid dude, man. Jeff, the Jets drafted really well. I know they're really hyped about their draft class. They should be, man. There's there's some potential there, which probably makes the quarterback situation more frustrating. <laughs> that and running the ball. Like, I look at the run numbers after whatever week Brees got hurt. The Jets also just don't run the ball super well, and that's that's probably if you broke into Zach Wilson's phone and like hit all his group chats, he's probably bitching about that quite a bit. It's like, man, what am I supposed to do when? Yada, 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 we can't run the ball. And that's a fair, that doesn't absolve him of blame, but I would say, I know you know better than me, but that would be a fair criticism, man. They can't, when you can't run the ball, most of your quarterbacks are going to struggle to put up points. I don't really care who you are. Yeah, the, the Jets have not run the ball well. Um, although they've run the ball well with Mike White. I think it's a it's a product of, they're a team that needs, to, they need the throw to open up the run. They, they can't run the open up, the, you know, the play action game is like kind of open early on because the Jets are so, it's so much tendency to just run on first and second down with Zach, where it's like run on first and 10, second and 10, second and 10, run again. It's second and 12. Zach takes a sack and does something stupid. <laughs> they punt. Um, like, I, I think it's it just, it is interesting. You look at a guy like Garrett, because you see, you know, a lot of the Calvin Ridley digs and Justin Jefferson comps coming out because it's like body type and guys who can play inside and outside. And, and I get it. My issue is like, I don't want to, it's hard to comp someone to Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs because they're two top five guys. But to be fair to Garrett, in the games without Zach Wilson, he was on pace, he would be on pace for 110, 1715 touchdowns. Like that's how much better he's been with competent quarterback play. So it's the fact that he has a good chance this year to 
if he has two big weeks here against two defenses who aren't great, that he could be a guy who's an 80, 1200, six touchdown guy with the majority of the year being Zach Wilson, your quarterback, like you'll take that in year one uh, and build off. I think we have the, you know, obviously you get to cover two good receivers, obviously in DK and Lockett, although I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, but it's, it's just interesting. These guys come in and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson have been so dominant. Like their rookie years were so absurd that I think we have this, a bit of a warped expectation, similar to like quarterbacks where Herbert throws for, you know, 4,035 touchdowns. Like that's not normal. That's not supposed to happen. So, right. um, you know, that'll be interesting, you know, kind of mentioning, you know, flipping on the other side, we talked a lot about sauce. You talked a lot about DJ Reed over the summer when we were on and I, Love DJ. I was excited for DJ Reed, the DJ Reed signing. I talked to you about it after and you're like, yeah, no, it's a nice signing. Like, I don't know if he's a one a, but he could be a really good. He could be a really solid one on a good defense. The fact that he's a two now, and playing the way he is is pretty insane. We're going to see obviously DK and you know Versace and DJ Reed. I don't think Lockett's going to go if I'm not mistaken. Maybe maybe something happens there. Maybe he's a maybe. He's a maybe. But those are going to be some interesting matchups because I feel like I'm sure Tyler Lock and DJ Reed have gone at it for you know, yeah. obviously for years in practice. That matchup would have been good. And then Sauce and DK size wise, that's a matchup I think similar to Tariq and Garrett. Like that's the matchup I think I'm the most excited to see on uh, on Sunday. You know what's so special about DJ is that it's not like a the size mismatch is huge, but he he plays in a way one he's good with his technique, um, and he's good with his hands. Um, like at the like he's not gonna go up and high point the ball like Tariq uh, would do. That's fine because he's five nine, right? But he'll he plays the hands. Sometimes you play the ball, sometimes you play the hands. Depends on the technique and your size too. DJ is just so good at he's just so feisty, man. And uh, the the thing in, the, in Seattle is with corners, they're so you can just gauge them in training camp so well because it's like, all right, there's DK and there's Tyler. If you can hold your own here, you're probably a starting caliber corner. And if you can't, it doesn't mean you're not, but you like it, you lose the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you have a, you have a ceiling. Yeah, exactly. Whereas DJ could hold his own, red zone, deep balls. I mean, you guys saw the the play where Jamison Williams pushes off on him, um, but he still recovers. You know, on the on the on the JMO would be touchdown. You know, and gets a hand on the ball. That's like he's he's really feisty, um, and he just he's one of those corners who wants to smoke too. Like I think I mentioned that to you before. You got to have an attitude to be a five nine outside corner in the NFL because they're gonna try you because they see you're so short and you have short arms. Uh, although DJs are like a decent size. Like he he overcomes that with being a dog, good technique, uh, plays the ball really well. Uh, I remember I was talking to, um, actually I was talking to I can't say the coach name, but I was talking to a Seahawks coach off the record like earlier in the season, and we were just talking about cornerback play. It was like week two or something like that, and then D, somehow DJ came up, and then I was like, "Yo, did you see the pick he had on Lamar Jackson?" I was like, no, and I showed the coach the play, and I was like, dude, like, DJ's going to have I think, what week was that, one, two, or something like that? It was really, really early. Yeah, it, was week, it was week one, and then yeah. his, dad, his dad died that morning, and then he, like, took a knee at midfield, and, like, everyone ripped yeah, him, and yeah. then, like, dude, his dad died literally an hour before the game. Maybe back off. It was, like, yeah. relax, yeah. let him do his thing. I bring that up because I, I showed a coach on the Seahawks that, and it was like, wow, no, they, they were happy for him. They knew he could do that, but like that part of his game, he didn't even really show here. He could get his hands on the ball, but that was a go up and get that shit. So I think yeah, DJ, DJ is a he's a cornerback one. It's weird because he do, he likes to do it on the right side, um, and I think it was at the Vikings game. I think they tried him on the left in the red zone and gave up a touchdown. Right, like that. Just don't put DJ on the left. That's just he told he's told me before. That's just not he can do it. That's just not his bag. You know, last time. He played on the left. Uh, probably, uh, I don't know how much he's done it, but I know bef- before that Vikings game that he had this year, the last time he played on the left, 
was against the Vikings in week three of 2021. They gave up two touchdowns, one to Justin and one to Thielen. So Robert Sala, maybe stop, just stop, stop putting him on the left side. On the left. I know they like to switch it in the red zone a little bit. Don't. Sauce on the left, DJ on the, on the right, man. Like, there's just enough data points for me to tell you that DJ on the right side will very rarely give up touchdowns. DJ on the left, he might. Um, so that's why, that's why they're so good, though. I wrote a story today and called them the league's best cornerback tandem because I, I this year they are, them in Philly with, with Slay and Bradbury. Like, nah, what Sauce and DJ are doing in that back end, considering what the Jets' defensive numbers look like last year, uh, Sal is a miracle worker. Yeah, no, I know. It's, uh, it's interesting to look at, you know, Robert Sal, obviously another Seattle connection, you know, yeah, obviously he smoked Mike McDaniel in the year. I'm interested to see how he does, you know, going up to Seattle. I think just with so many different storylines in this game, some of them, like, there's sometimes they build up people, you know, me, you, whoever build up a storyline in a game. These ones actually are kind of relevant, like the offensive and defensive rookie of the year battles, because these guys are going to get to go against, you know, they're going to be on the four o'clock window on New Year's Day, look at, you know, playing against, you know, whoever plays better could give themselves an edge, right? Yeah. Just because it's more eyeballs and, Obviously, the Gino, but you know, Salo playing against Pete Carroll, who you know, he has a lot of traits that are very similar, and a lot of the you know, the way he, especially with the media, a lot of the uh, saying a whole lot of nothing, telling you, <laughs> telling you what you, telling you what everyone giving an answer, but basically telling never going to say a bad word about a player unless you know, Pete with Russ a couple times this year, uh, you know, let let it slip out, but yeah, uh, you know, cup quick two questions on this, and then there's one other question I wanted to ask you about Russ, but. What do you think ends up happening Sunday? Because I'm sure you're going to probably have to, you know, get the predictions and all that stuff. I, I feel like the Jets win this game just because they got so much momentum from the amount of teams they needed to lose last week and every single one lost. And Mike White gets cleared. It felt like they need they were so low in energy. It's almost like a total reverse. They got like a shot of adrenaline. That said, I don't think this game, I think this game's going to be very close. Um, I'm not sure on a score yet, but I just think the Jets maybe win by three or, you know, win by, like, win the last three, four minutes of the game. What are you, what are you feeling, uh, feeling for Sunday? I know there's some injuries that have to work themselves out on Seattle's side. My, my guess would be, I, I'm actually leaning toward, I saw Tyler Lockett yesterday, and he showed me his hand, which is the size of a tennis ball, but he can catch. Like, he can catch the ball without pain. And I don't know if he's hyped up on some pain drugs or whatever, but, like, just seeing him bouncing around the locker room, showing people, he's like, look, man, my hand's not that bad. I'm just like, dude, no, it's the size of, it's like the size of this Bluetooth speaker right here. Like, it's it's big, but he could play with it. So that would, and he doesn't need to practice to play. Like, he's been on the team forever. He's actually the longest tenured Seahawk. So um, I think that if he plays, that helps the third down numbers a bit, which have been uh, kind of, they were bad without him in Kansas City. So if he plays... Um, I think Seattle has kind of fixed some of its like being the worst run defense in the league to being more like an average um, one. They're, before they were just garbage um, stopping the run. Now they've they've slowly improved. They were even better on that Thursday night game. They allowed one explosive before like a 50 yarder that kind of ended ended the game, and they had zero explosives allowed against the Chiefs. So they're getting better there. So being able to stop the run. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Has, has helped uh, getting Tyler back will help the third down numbers. Uh, I think they've 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 uh, I think they've unlocked something with their run game too. That they got Ken Walker going. He had 91 yards in the second half against the Chiefs. That's more the yard as they've had on the ground in any game since Week 10, like total. So like I think and talking to some of the guys about the scheme and some of the other stuff this week, I think they'll be able to run it a little better. So that that'll help. So that'll help Geno not turn it over as much as he was. I I like the Seahawks really close, like 16 to like 13 probably. Like I think the 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 defenses here I think will play uh really well uh for two reasons i think that i think the jet defense is just good so i don't really need to qualify that with anything i think the seahawks defense is good at attacking what the jets will presumably do best which is throw it um if you look at some of the fantasy football players know like when you you got a you got a receiver these days going against the seahawks on the little espn thing they're in red usually because their receivers are not really going crazy on the Seahawks. even Devonte had just like 74 yards Devonte adams so dj moore didn't catch a ball um uh, against the seahawks so like they're doing pretty well against number one receivers in the last like five or six weeks or whatever. So um, I think that that is going to help and it'll just really uh, result in an ugly game. I think both teams trying to run it, but not starting off really well. Maybe a turnover or two. You mentioned that the Jets special teams is kind of kind of shitty. Uh, well, the Seahawks special team is probably one of the best in the league, just in totality coverage and kicking. Um, so, yeah, I think that there'll probably be a special teams flip, play flip in one direction or the other. So I'm expecting an ugly game, turnovers. Um, a score or two probably wins wins the game for one of the teams. So yeah, I think I think it'll be really really close though. I think the Jets and the Seahawks, as their records indicate, are pretty even teams. They have different issues, but they they have issues nonetheless. So oh, and I think Seattle's pass rush will be have a a decent day as you mentioned against a a banged up O line. Oh, shout out to George Fett, man. He's had a fascinating career, dog. He got <laughs> had his job took by Dwayne in one city, flew across the country to get paid only for Dwayne to take it again in a whole nother market that would, that would piss me i don't know how george has said it talked about it in the media but that would piss me the fuck he's off. he said he would only do it for one other person but he did not seem pleased uh and then yeah. and then the next week got hurt or you know Dwayne brown came back and then when as soon as Dwayne brown came back george fan had to bump back over he got hurt again and missed eight weeks with knee soreness is not pretty uh i want to ask you quickly before we run here i know 
I've I'm very vocal that I thought Russ was declining before this year. I didn't like the trade at all for Denver just because I felt like it was a bad match. They wanted Aaron Rodgers. It didn't happen. They hired Aaron Rodgers drinking buddy. The scheme, the scheme, the scheme didn't make sense for for Russ. And anyone that's watched Russ in Seattle knew that that wasn't going to work. But all that said, obviously it was still a talented roster. Everyone knows that defense is awesome. And I know Russ is super cringy, and that's part of my like criticism of him. I just think that like people read bullshit pretty quickly. And if, yeah. if they think you're bullshitting them and things go bad, they're gonna turn on you. Even the football the other day, like dude, no one cares. You're getting blown out by 50. Like you don't have to cover your mouth with the football to like, right. yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's stuff. He kind of does it to himself a little bit. Are you surprised it's gone this bad though? Where like, it's now probably the worst contract in the NFL going forward, just because of how it's structured again, good for him. He got paid again, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But are you surprised? I know you probably weren't like, they're going to win the title, but are you surprised it's gone this poorly where people are like, just eat $102 million cap charge and get and move on. Yeah, no, that that last part is crazy. I, so it, it, my surprise kind of, it, it, it changed as I got more information leading up to the season. So if you just ask me in May, like, Mike, is Russ going to suck? I'm like, well, no. I mean, like, I think Russ is, Russ is fine. Um, he started the season well in 2021, got hurt, played bad, you know, healed up, played better. Just, the math was actually kind of simple for that on me. So if you ask me, like, May or June, I'm like, ah, nah, he'd probably be fine. And then I, you got some of the quotes from training camp and Hackett and some of the reports from you know, the, their practices. And I remember there was one, I tweeted it too. It was a Peter King article where Russ says something to the effect of, yeah, this has to be a player-led offense, like a player-led kind of organization. Uh, and then he also, an anonymous quote in that Peter King article said that Russ, it was someone close to Russ, said that Russ and Hackett are not like coach and player. They're more like partners. And I tweeted that quote out because I was like, that's bad. And it's mostly bad when things go wrong because you need to separate, you need to have like a blame pie chart or like almost like a blame hierarchy. And if you guys think you're on equal footing and you're not, it's going to be hard to like dish out the blame. That's not as important as credit. If they, I told somebody this week one, it was like if the jet, if the Broncos had come out hot, I don't think that would have, that whole partner's bullshit would have been a problem. You come out stinking, well, then you're just like, nah, man, this is your fault. Well, nah, this is your fault. Well, blah, 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 blah. Then it, it can spiral. So whenever that quote came, I'd have to go back and look. It was like in August. Then I was like, if you asked me, hey, Mike, could, could this go bad? I was like, yes, that has very the go bad potential because of that. Because I think in the NFL, culture and accountability matter so much. I mean, that's why Zach got benched there. He was like, just didn't have accountability after the, the Patriots game. You know, like culture and accountability matter so much. And if it's not defined, which is hard to do in year one, when things go south, they can just spiral. Um, and the other reason I uh, saw, I saw some of what you're mentioning, like people can spot bullshit. Um, Russ didn't have the benefit of the doubt there in Denver with his teammates and coaches. It was very similar to Earl Thomas when he went to Baltimore. Like Earl could do stuff like reportedly be late to meetings or like get into it with, with teammates because he, you know, his picture's on the wall here, you know, like that's different. They don't give a shit about that in Baltimore. They've had better safeties than you in Baltimore, you know, with all due respect, like they've had it, you know? So it's like the stuff that they wanted to put up with, it's like, you can't punch Chuck Clark here. We'll, we'll kick you off the team, you know, you, you know, rest and punch nobody. But the sentiment is the same in that, like, you're not an icon here. You're a, a good player that we expect to be held accountable here. That's the difference it's when you're somewhere and then you go to another franchise where your picture ain't on the wall. So all that, yeah, by like August 31st or whatever, I was like, oh, this could go, this could go bad if they don't start out well. And I think they scored like 40 points or something like that in their first three games or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, this could, by that point, I knew it could definitely go south 
Um, and yeah, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't surprise ultimately, but yeah, you asked me in June surprise by August. I was like, nah, this, this has, this has shitstorm potential. Yeah. I mean, look, the guy, it's not, again, this is, it's not blaming Russ good for him. He's able to, he set himself up to be able to get paid that money and have his own office, which is a whole weird thing that I just, all that stuff is done. Not like, it's not even nothing like against him. It's just to your point those all those guys don't know you and so you're coming in as the guy that's supposed to take them to a title you're the quarterback you're the highest paid player in the team you know let's ride and all that stuff like again i'm not saying you have to drop things like that but when you get blown out like no one wants none of your teammates want to hear you say like catchphrases like it's <laughs> like it's just they don't people don't want to hear it they're like and then when the defense is playing that well and the offense is struggling the locker room turns the other way this happened with the jets the defense is like Again, dude, we have, we've given up one offensive touchdown two games to the Patriots, and we literally lost because of one person. Like, that's what happens. And unfortunately, for better or for worse, he's going to have to kind of rebuild some trust, I think, going forward with whoever they hire, with his teammates, and be like, you got to humble yourself a little bit. Not There's nothing wrong with being confident, but you got to be – you got to humble yourself and ingratiate yourself to a locker room that now all he knows you as the guy that was terrible, <laughs> terrible right. this year. They don't know you as a guy that won the title and – or it's consistent in the playoffs. It's it's a bad situation, obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, you see Cortland Sutton jumping up and down, screaming for the ball, or KJ Hamler. I think it was the Colts game on Thursday night, like early in the year. That, that was game the was the worst game ever. That was the other problem too with Denver season. I mean, it's something they really couldn't control. But they had like five or six times this year where they were the only game on TV. Not necessarily prime time, because like one of those was like London, which is really early in the morning on the West Coast. But in general, they were the only game on TV like six times, including Christmas Day. So like when you when you do that, it just warps perception. You know, like Zach, Zach struggled on a Thursday night primetime game. That's way different than if you just struggle at 10 a.m., whatever. Like it still matters because it's New York, but you know what I mean? Like the, the perception is way different when you struggle and you, you're the lead block on PTI the next morning. That just matters so much more. If Stephen A is yelling about you the next day, that just matters a lot more. You know, it, it, that's just kind of how the it's just, it's just it's the unfortunate truth of it. But no, obviously it'd be an exciting game Sunday. And, you know, I'm glad we were able to glad we were able to kind of get a competitive game here and, um, you know, make sure you guys are following Mike's work, the athletic, um, you know, they've got their, they've got the pod, obviously a bunch of writing. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, if you want to dive into some Tariq Woolen and Sauce Garter stuff, um, I know you had a piece, I think it was either earlier this week or late last week, right before Christmas, kind of detailing, you know, a lot of, it was not just you, it was everybody kind of talking through yeah, you know, who yeah. would win and, and, and everything at like that, but make sure you guys are following his work and obviously appreciate it, uh, appreciate hopping on. Oh yeah, man, looking forward to this game on Sunday, dog. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, Jets fans will be very familiar. You were on uh, right before the uh, right before the draft, Trevor Sikma of uh, Pro Football Focus, NFL Stock Exchange. Trevor, how are we, uh, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. It's so funny. Like even when the Jets aren't directly in the news, Jets are somehow in the news, right? A guy, a guy gets released from another team. A guy is moving from another team, and everybody just goes the Jets. And so yeah. I, just, I find it hilarious that you guys have so much great content all the time because every time <laughs> any other player is speculated, everybody's like the Jets. And so I'm yeah. looking forward to this conversation yeah. that we're gonna have here. Today. I was trying my hardest to stay off of my phone yesterday and not be on Twitter, and I see the Derek Carr thing. And I'm like, oh God, I'm going to, I have to tweet something about it. And then you tweeted, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to just say, we'll talk about it tomorrow. And, uh, and going from there, we'll, we'll get into that. Obviously, you know, at, mm -hmm. at the end, Jets are, you know, obviously, you know, Connor's obviously, you know, all the Jets stuff, you get the guys get to talk about it and you're pretty plugged into what's going on. Let's just start with the Zach Wilson, Mike White thing quickly. Mm -hmm. Are you a surprised, you know, long story short, are you surprised it's gone this bad, this quickly for Zach and B, 
are you imp- uh, what are your thoughts on Mike White actually playing because the phenomenon's cool but the actual tapes kind of what what does matter in the end yeah, I think that, you know, when you start with Zach Wilson, I, I, I like Zach Wilson when he was coming out of the draft. I mean, I won't shy away from that. I, I had him as a really high player because of what the ceiling was. And I thought that he brought a really a lot of really great tools to the table. I thought he had some good mobility, that he was a, a big game hunter, if you will, a guy who was always trying to go for the big play. He had a really great arm, could put good zip on the passes, right? He had a lot of the arm talent that you looked out for. But you know, there's a, a, certainly a lot of people right now, and rightfully so, are kind of pointing out like, hey, these issues that existed on tape with him at BYU, they're still there in the NFL. And they're kind of saying that almost as a little bit of a victory lap if people doubted where he was in the scouting process with him going to overall. And they are certainly right in that regard. What I would say is that there is somewhat tr- of truth to that with a lot of prospects. And I think when you look at guys, when you're scouting them, you you the first question you want to ask is what can they do? You know, you, you definitely want to get to, okay, what are their limitations? Are they physical limitations? Are they mental limitations? Are they situational limitations? What are some of the reasons why they struggle and go find the roots to them? But ultimately, when it comes to scouting, you've got to be able to project that guys can simply get better. The issue is, is that Zach Wilson has not gotten better. That's, it's not that Zach Wilson was never going to struggle in the NFL. He played behind an incredible offensive line at BYU. They're all the 40 company. years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's true. He's grown men. Go to his kids. Uh, no, but so he played behind a incredible offensive line at BYU. Their schedule was unbelievably easy. He was hardly tested. And a lot of the tendencies and just ways in which he went about playing quarterback at BYU was never going to really thrive in the NFL. You know, a lot of times he just bailed from clean pockets when he never really had to, he'd always be on the run. You know, he, he'd be late to his reads, but it didn't matter because the arm could make up for it. And the secondary wasn't nearly as good as it needed to be. I didn't really hit over the middle of the field, the way that he needed to versus play action for a wide zone scheme, like all of this stuff, you could go, all right, it, it's not going to work in the pros. You've got to be able to stake, take steps forward to play more of a pro style game. Problem is, Will, he never did. The flashes, the highs, the ceiling, that stuff was still there, but he he did not get better. You have to get better. And I think for even the people that really liked what Zach Wilson brought to the table out of BYU, they, myself included, would have told you, there's stuff that will not fly for him. He, he will not be able to start in the NFL if he remains the same kind of a quarterback. But there's so many guys that just get better and better and better and better. And Zach Wilson just, he... He has not been that guy. He has not gotten better. In fact, he has gotten worse in a lot of areas. Those areas, especially mentally, that you wanted to see him get better, he has not. And now he just feels like a broken quarterback. Now it feels like it's just a really tough situation for him no matter what. So that was kind of my overall thoughts on Zach Wilson. But it does feel like the Wilson era is over in New York because it feels like the confidence is shot. Um, And like I said, he just feels like a broken guy right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You have a couple of quick points, and then I will move you know, off this because I know it's been a topic for for a long time now. But like, if you if you're not super, I don't want to say not super smart because I, I think that's you don't want to say someone's not smart. But his football IQ and reading defenses was not exactly um, something that I think everyone was like, "Wow, I can't wait to see Zach read read defenses." And it has not gotten better. If right. anything, it's gotten worse. Right. You know, there's multiple clips where it's like. The side is supposed to be where the route goes. It's the favorable side. And it's like he goes to the opposite side and then you don't really understand what he's doing. The footwork and the mechanics and all that stuff, you mentioned the clean pockets. Again, that's only been accentuated in the NFL. And then you look at, you know, the highs and lows. You know, the Detroit game was kind of perfect, you know, enigma of what Zach is. Where you, That's what I thought we'd always see is like this high floor, low ceiling guy where the bad's really bad and the good's really good. 
and I'm not saying his arm has never not been elite. He has a really twitchy arm and it's very like unique level arm. But also it's like, then you go back and you're like, how good is his arm comparatively because of who he's playing against? It's like, you kind of just second, you know, second question yourself, doubt yourself mm-hmm. a little bit when you would go back and look. It's weird is, is that Mike White, I'm not saying he's been perfect, but he throws, he's made a bunch of throws this year. I feel like the Bills game, the Vikings game, the dig route to Corey Davis on fourth down, the couple of throws to Jefferson. I mean, uh, not Justin Jefferson, although Garrett Wilson plays sometimes like Justin Jefferson. Uh, you know, that Zach doesn't make those throws, which is weird because you'd expect the guy with the big arm where Mike White's arm is good or solid, mm-hmm. I would say, but he throws with such anticipation, mechanics and the technique. And like he goes through his progression so fast that the ball's in the right spot and it doesn't matter. You don't need to have this, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Zach Wilson level arm to make those throws. Have you been impressed with Mike White? Obviously, I know you got to you know see him in college a little bit, Western Kentucky after South Florida. Yeah, of course. No, I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think you have to be impressed, especially this year, what he's been able to do. But, you know, not to, again, make everything about Zach Wilson, but that's also a concerning part, right? Not to say this is a slight to Mike White, but Mike White's able to come in and LaFleur's able to really put an offense in front of him that's easy for him to understand he can throw with anticipation he knows where the ball should go he's playing with confidence and if you could bring Mike White in and he can do that well then how can Wilson not do that in year two you know what I'm saying like that's the part that's really worrisome but White clearly has a really good grasp of this offense I know you guys watch a lot more of them than I do but certainly from what I've seen when I've been watching Jets games is Clearly, he the, the team, the rest of the offense just has so much more confidence when he is under center, when he's the guy. I mean, what was it like? The uh, Jets players were all wearing like Mike White shirts or whatever that Mike road F game, and, Mike F and White shirts, yeah, and, it's just and like, the Duck shirts. It's insane. That's the stuff that's awesome, right? And like that's the stuff that makes these guys play really well when they all believe in the guy that's quarterbacking for them. And um, that is a, I will say, an underrated part of this Mike White storyline is how much these guys believe in him. And so, you know, when you talk about are the Jets going to go out and they're going to draft the quarterback? Are they going to sign a different quarterback? Are they going to bring back Mike White? Like that to me is part of the equation of, of um how much of a rapport and how much the team believes in him. But I like him, man. I don't know if I like him enough to say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to resign Mike white. He's going to be the guy moving forward. He's going to get a multi-year contract. And maybe that ends up being the case. I think these next two games, if he continues to show really nice progression, really nice uh, consistency, he'll probably earn something like a multi-year contract. If there's not a major better option there for them to take, but uh I think that's what we're all watching for, right? Not only is the playoffs still alive for the New York Jets, Mike White and what happens at quarterback, that's the biggest storyline to me. But there's no reason why you know people should look at this situation and go, yeah, but he's not going to be here next year. I don't think that's where it is. His play has warranted consideration for him to be the quarterback in 2023. Yeah, look, the dream for Jets fans and the Jets organization, frankly, is one of these two guys, whether it was Wilson or White, would be the guy that we don't have to go give up draft picks or – likely pay you know some guys jimmy g 40 million dollars a year with an injury history or whatever although mike white's been banged up in his starts as well obviously got broken in half by matt milano but it's it is it's a tough situation because the rest of this roster is so good obviously i know you were super high on sauce gardner garrett wilson these guys obviously think they were consensusly in the most people's unless you want to be a hot take guy they're most people's top one two or three corner receiver Mm -hmm. are you I, don't want, I know I kind of asked you, about the, are you surprised at Zach Wilson? Are you surprised how good Sauce Gardner coming from Cincinnati? Yes, I know it's a, it is a big, it's a bigger time program. I guess all these guys have been successful, you know, clearly coming in early, but it'd be this good this early where you could probably make an argument to top three corner in football and like not be a hot take. And Garrett Wilson's playing like a top 10, top 15 receiver, which 
all things considered, again, about the quarterbacks is pretty insane. Um, it's just as good as Ohio State is these guys. Are you surprised they're this good and, like, this legit this early for a team that could make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I just – I'm so – so impressed with what sauce Gardner has been able to do. And, and this is a guy who is, you know, a top 10 player in so many different people's big boards and for good reason. But even with that being the case, uh, you know, somebody told me a long time ago that being a starter at corner as a rookie, a first time starter, a first year starter is like trying to drink water through a fire hose. There's so much coming at you. You're learning so much when it comes to different techniques, you know, you're probably in college, a lot of times, not saying like these guys don't learn in college. There's a lot of really great college programs out there that teach these guys the fundamentals, but sometimes some of these colleges, sometimes you're just good enough of an athlete where they just go guard that guy. And, you know, they'll kind of tweak the fundamentals and they'll tweak what you do to help you out there. But essentially they just tell you go guard their best receiver. And that's kind of what you do sometimes at a college level. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but you know what I mean? No, 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 of course. The, when you get to the NFL level, they are putting the details underneath it. You know, you're getting your footwork right. You're getting your your hand placement right. You know, you're learning how to really press. You're learning how to get physical. You're learning uh, how to watch the receiver's eyes and play with the back to your ball and, and, and all of that stuff. Meanwhile, the speed of the game is jumping to a crazy level, not just for you, but also the guys around you on the defense. And then on the other side of the line of scrimmage too, these wide receivers are nuts, man. Like they are so unbelievably talented. They are route running masters. They are artists when it comes to getting out of their stance, winning quickly, getting that easy separation, the hand usage, the footwork, all of that, man. And you're just taking so much of that to the next level. So for Sauce Garner to be able to come in right away and not only not look overwhelmed, but look like he is one of the best in the league at doing this. I cannot understate how impressive that is and how important that is for the Jets to have him on a rookie contract for the next four or five years, whatever it is, until they give him an extension. It's just unbelievably impressive. And then Garrett Wilson, um, you know, I was somebody who I think I had Garrett Wilson a little bit lower. I think I had him as like wide receiver four, wide receiver five. And a reason why is one, this wide receiver class was loaded anyway. Well, me and you were Drake Hunter guys. Yeah, Yeah. Chris Olave. I mean, like they're they're just John Dotson, so many good wide receivers from this past class. But when I looked at Garrett Wilson, I was like, yeah. I mean, I love the short area quickness. Don't get me wrong. The body control, beautiful. You know, he's such a quick twitch dude. But I wondered if he had the long speed. And I'm like, if he can't attack vertically, is he just kind of an inside guy? I did not take into account just how impactful his level of twitch and footwork and body control was going to be able to translate right away in the NFL because he is now somebody who is understanding the beginning of route running very well. He can create that early separation. You know, he could he could t- t- turn those throwing windows into a lot bigger because of uh, how well he is able to put his foot in the ground and change direction and really cut and all that kinds of stuff. So for those two guys, I mean, the Jets nailed it. And so many of their other draft picks, I think, are working out really well. Offensive line, I'm sure we'll get to and we'll talk about that, but – Outside of that, so much of the rest of this roster is either playoff ready or on the track to be a playoff ready kind of a player. So there's a lot of good about the Jets roster right now, including their rookies. It's funny. I'm uh, I'm already thinking next summer when you guys do your uh, 2,500, you know, there are 25 guys under 25 roster and mm-hmm. whatever. There'll be a lot more Jets than there were uh, likely, likely than a year ago. Um, now, you mentioned, look, the thing with Garrett Wilson, a former colleague of yours, Austin Gale, mentioned this during the process when he was on the show and he said like I don't love how Gary Wilson kind of overemphasizes everything like it, it felt like he kind of did a little almost too much on some of the route running and it doesn't feel like he does that anymore it feels like they've cleaned up that part of his game where he can just let that twitchiness 
as you mentioned, be so explosive that now you're not wasting any time. There's no wasted movement mm-hmm. and you're that explosive. Like it, now it's working and, it, and you've seen it kind of really hit the ground running. He also is a lunatic when he plays, which is something that I don't think I took into account. Like he is yelling at people all the time. He's yelling at himself. Like certain guys are kind of just wired different when they put on pads. And, you know, there's always the infamous Brian Dawkins video. I'm not saying he's that level of, of nuts, mm-hmm. but he is, he just picked, he was picking fights with kids in Ohio that are just wearing Garrett Wilson jerseys. He's screaming at them. And it's like, this is pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty cool to see him kind of be that, that intense. You know, you mentioned the offensive line. It's going to be a, you know, a topic of conversation. I'm sure we're going to have a hundred times in, in Alabama and in Indy. And it sucks that a lot of the injuries have happened. A lot of stopgap options. I just feel like for the, next, the most expensive offensive line in football, the fact that they're going to get mocked an offensive lineman or probably a tackle mm-hmm. in almost any mock draft it is a little concerning, if I'm being honest. Like, other than the quarterback, that's probably the the point of contention where it's like, man, like they, they need some work here because it's it's even with the injuries, it's it's tough scenes outside of Elijah Vera Tucker and Connor Connor McGovern. Yeah, and Makai is the toughest one, right? Because you know it's you, you draft him as highly as you do in an offensive line class that had a lot of really great offensive linemen to choose from. And obviously like when Makai has been out there, you know, he could be a monster, you know, he's somebody who brings unique size to a position that normally has a ton of size, which not a lot of these guys get to say, and it's just a matter of, can the dude stay healthy? Because if he can stay healthy, then all of a sudden I can sell you a point where, all right, George Fant, Took a step back this year, got a little hurt, probably not on the team next year. Dwayne Brown getting up there in the age doesn't have to be on the team next year. You put Makai Becton at left tackle. Uh, I mocked them Paris Johnson Jr., the offensive lineman from Ohio State. You put Paris Johnson Jr. at right tackle. Then all of a sudden, Elijah Barry Tucker gets to come back on the interior. McGovern gets another be another interior guy. And all of a sudden, it's just like, boom, all right, cool. We're, good. we're fixed. We're yeah, we're good. We're rolling. And now, like, that is ideal. Can you count on Becton now? If I think you have to draft offensive line probably in the first round, at least as it stands right now, because you've got to get some sort of insurance. You've got to get a player who could play out at tackle. And I know Elijah Vera Tucker played tackle a little bit when he was at USC. Perhaps that might be something that he could do long-term in the NFL. But if you draft like a Paris Johnson Jr., you know, you could, if Makai Becton goes down again, if he's not playing well enough, you can make that switch. You can make that transition and it might not be as detrimental, but I get it, man. When, when you offensive line is so tough because unlike a lot of other positions, which maybe you only need like one or two stars, you got to hit on probably four out of the five, you know, like you, in order to have a really good offensive line, you've got to have four really good players to make up for it. And we all know what kind of a coin flip game the NFL draft can be. We all love it. We're all excited. We watch these players. We think about what they could be, but at the end of the day, the success rate's not nearly as high as we all would love for it to be. So offensive line just gets really frustrating because you go, okay, I mean, the Jets have invested first-round picks in so many of these different offensive linemen, and now we got to go back to the well again? Yeah, unfortunately, that's how, football, that's, that's how football works. Like, you just – if you can't win up front on the offensive line, the rest – a lot of the rest of the stuff just doesn't matter. So yeah. uh, I know that it's boring. Like you said, you know, it's it's not something that you want to do year after year after year. You'd love to be drafting some of these skill position players, these big-time headline difference makers, but that just kind of feels like where, that's where the Jets are right now. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where safety, linebacker, and offensive line, mostly linebacker and offensive line are not exciting. Neither, I mean, I know defensive tackle can be because you could get a Quinn and Williams or something like that that's 
you know, a special, special player. I'm going to ask you quickly about Quinn. And I just want to ask you two quick things about uh, a, the games coming up here Saturday that, you know, if there's a guy the Jets fans should be kind of paying attention to, you mentioned one of them already. I know Quinn Williams obviously has hit his, he's kind of, it's all kind of come together this year. He had some nice moments for year one, year two, year three. Do you think that's a, are you think it's more of a just experiencing NFL and Quinn getting older and more experienced, or is it, it just clicked to be now he's in the right system, good talent around him where he was at Bama, where he was just an absolute game wrecker. Obviously he's kind of finally that player. And it's, it's kind of exciting to see, at least from my perspective, are you, are you surprised it took this long or is it just the experience now all these reps and, and now he's the player you kind of saw coming out? No, I mean, I think, honestly, I think age goes into it, right? I, I think that we all love to talk about like, ooh, he's 20 years old on draft day or whatever it is, or he'll be like- It's not 20, even a good thing always. Years well, and but like some, it is in a way where you go, okay, this guy dominated in college at a super young age and you love to draft younger guys because that means that you're just going to get more out of them. They're going to have more youth to them. But at the same time, we don't often think about the flip side of things where Quinnen dominates at Alabama- comes into the NFL, I think he was 20 years old on draft night. And I think he just needed to mature, like literally, like just like his, you know, his, his life, his body, the strength profile, like everything, like he was a 20 year old kid. And so now we see him, what is he, 24, 25 years he old? He just turned 25 uh, last week. Yeah, he just turned 25. I mean, like, this is this is perfect. Now he's going to be, I mean, Quinnen's going to be in the prime. As long as he is healthy, I mean, we're going to get three, four years of just Dominant Quinnen Williams, the, the player that you saw Alabama at Alabama. Now you're going to get for the next three, four years on top of this year. So it's almost going to be half a decade where I think you can um, predict that he's just going to be one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. So that's just something that I would say about Quinnen. It's awesome to see him work out um, and, and get to this level again, because he was so much fun in college. He had all the tools that you wanted. I just think it took him, you know, a couple of years just to grow into his body, his strength, the, the life, you know, everything. And I think that now we're seeing the, uh, the benefits of it with him. It's nice to not have to, as good as Nick Bosa is, it's nice this year to not have to have people complain about the Jets winning in Buffalo in week 17 and in 2018 that they missed out on Bosa and, you know, the Niners. Like, I don't, as good as Nick Bosa is, and he'd be amazing for the Jets, it's nice to have a guy that's dominant, at least at his position, and still being productive where you don't have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Great, great clip, if no one's seen it already, they asked Quinn Williams this week about playing A.J. Brown, D.K., and Elijah Moore at Ole Miss, and he said – uh, they lost, they went down seven, nothing. I'm sure you're familiar with this game. AJ Brown. I mean, uh, DK Metcalf scores and then Quinn Williams hit a we're Bama. And then they scored 62 points in a row. Uh, great, great Quinn Williams, uh, great, big personality. Obviously I kind of referenced it here. <laughs> big games, obviously, you know, I know yeah. you're locked into the pros and, and so am I, but there's, you know, two huge games on, uh, I guess on Saturday night here, other than, you know, uh, Johnson, who you mentioned, is there another player that maybe if you're a Jets fan, you're kind of a little bit more extra interest in watching, um, you know, off the top of your head, it goes, mm, this is a guy that could be a mid mid first round guy, either, you know, safety linebacker, offensive line Jets might need another receiver because Corey Davis probably won't be here next year. So a lot of different positions, but is there anyone that comes, comes to mind uh, for Saturday? Well, I mean, like, there's a, there's a ton of potential first-round guys that I think that you're looking at, right? I mean, like, for TCU, Quentin Johnson, if they have any chance to keep up with Michigan, I mean, like, Quentin Johnson's going to have to go off with Max Duggan there. So I, I think that Quentin Johnson's got a good chance to be wide receiver one off the board. I mean, you're, you're at Ohio State as well. You're probably watching a future wide receiver one in Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, he's not even draft eligible this year, but he's absolutely going to put on the show. That matchup is actually going to be huge. I don't, I don't think the Jets are going to be drafting a corner or anything, but George has got Keely Ringo on one side, who I think is going to be a top 20 draft pick at corner. He's six foot two, 200 and 
five, 210 pounds and he runs a four, three, four, four. I mean, they're hopefully going to have him against Marvin Harrison jr. For a lot of that game. And I would absolutely love to see that another offensive lineman that the jets maybe keep an eye on uh, Broderick Jones. I would say from Georgia, I wouldn't put him ahead of Paris Johnson jr. I think Paris Johnson jr. Is a little bit more natural, but Broderick Jones really fierce in the run game has some good flexibility to him. Strong build work in progress and pass protection. It's his first year started left tackle, but he's definitely somebody that you watch out for. And then on Ohio State side of things, if you don't get an offensive lineman in the first round, maybe a, a mammoth like Dewan Jones, who's one of the biggest offensive linemen in this class. I know maybe a little PTSD with the Mackay Beckton thing, but still, I mean, he's somebody that you should definitely look out for. Uh, he's a really good offensive lineman. He's playing right tackle for for Ohio State, and so I think that those guys are definitely players that you want to watch out for. Um, trying to think of. Obviously, like Jalen Carter on on Georgia, it, it is is a monster along the defensive line. Nolan Smith as well is an edge rusher who he's not going to play, but he's somebody along Georgia's line that he's a former number one overall recruit in the country. He's somebody that uh, I think is going to be a first rounder when it's all said and done. He tore his pec about a month and a half ago, but like he he's somebody that 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 I think Jets fans and other people out there could definitely have their eyes on too. And then the other one is just Chris Smith, who's the safety. Who I didn't think Chris Smith for Georgia was that impactful last year. This year, he definitely has been. So if you're looking for a mid-round-ish safety, I think that he's somebody to watch out for. Um, as much as I love Jalen Carter, I'm very happy that the Jets getting mocked him the entirety of the 2022 post-draft cycle, or way too early mock drafts where everyone had the Jets taking Jalen Carter. I'm very happy the Jets are not in position to, to draft him. It's, uh, it's better that way, unfortunately, although as great as he's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, but the Quinn and Williams and Jalen Carter is like the would be, would be the coolest thing. Line I've would ever be the coolest thing ever. ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Garrett Wilson would be cool to see them again, uh, you know, in green and white. But two quick fire ones right here before we wrap. A, do the Jets make the playoffs? Obviously, they have to win out and need one Patriots loss. And B, I know we kind of referenced it, and, and we'll talk more about this next time I have you on. Who's the Jets starting quarterback gut feeling, you know, in 2023 who's under center so do they make the playoffs and who's this who's the starting quarterback i think they make the playoffs and my gut feeling it's either it's mike mike white and Derek carr feel like the two guys that have the the best inside track although i'd like mike white if you're going to have like an anthony richardson or someone behind him where mm -hmm. it's like you get the long-term you know guy that could sit for two years but if they're going to go veteran uh carr probably makes more sense than a, a jimmy g who's gonna who just is always hurt yeah i i I think that certainly if Derek Carr was on the New York Jets this year, uh, they're in the playoffs. Like, they're in the playoffs already. Um, I know a lot of people like to, you know, poop on Derek Carr because of some of the struggles that he's had over the last couple of You don't of like years. crying at press conferences? Okay. Like, I like I get it. Like, people are going after him. But at the same time, like, dude, cool. dude's been – Dude's been working his ass off for the Raiders and the, the organization around him has just been so damn mid the whole time. And they finally go in with Devontae Adams and they get him a real weapon. And then Josh McDaniel is like the worst head coach in the NFL. And it's just like, it, it, it's just so many things have gone. He's it, had the worst. He's had the worst GM drafting. I it's think we've ever seen terrible, man. It's absolutely terrible. Again, I think if you put Derek Carr on this New York chess team, they're in the playoffs. No question about it. I just checked. They have a 16% chance to make the playoffs. So what do they need? They need to win need both to win, of their games. Win both, and they might need to lose once. That's the only path. I mean, uh, New England will lose one of the two, either at Buffalo or at my, or against Miami. If New England loses one and the Jets win both, they're in. There is pretty much no other scenario. I guess they could tie. Other than there's no other scenario. I don't 
know. I feel like you're gonna go with a. I feel like you're gonna go with a barely miss. That's what, that's what your face is saying. I, barely I miss. painfully think that they're gonna barely miss. But look, maybe maybe Mike White will uh will prove me wrong and they'll get two dubs right here. But look, uh, whoever's gonna be the quarterback for the for the Jets in 2023, I think Mike White's got as good a shot as any. Right? Certainly, if they make the playoffs, if they win two games down the stretch. Uh, you, I think you have to have them on the roster, right? You're making a playoff for the first time in over a decade, right? Since 2010. So how do you tell your fans like, oh yeah, the quarterback that uh, came back from injury gutted it out and got us to the playoffs. Yeah, see ya. You know, I don't, I don't know if you can really do that, but if they do miss the playoffs, I think it becomes a debate. I think you look at all options. A lot of people look at the Jimmy Garoppolo uh, LaFleur connection from um, from San Francisco, obviously the solid connection as well. Hey, it could be an option, but like, honestly, if I'm taking a swing, I'm taking a swing at Derek Carr. You know, like I, I think that also you're probably gonna have to trade to get Derek Carr. You can make it a conditional pick because he's so much on the cap. You know, he's $34 million on the cap next year. It goes to 40 the year after that, 40 the year after that, a little more than 40 in both those years. But you'll probably have to trade something for him, but you could do a conditional pick, right? Do like a third rounder that if Derek Carr pr- brings you to the playoffs twice, or whatever, it turns into a second rounder. Okay, you don't care about giving up a second rounder at that point. You hit a QB. You know, so that is the precedent at this point. Cars guarantees are off of his deal. So if it doesn't work next year, you cut him and you move on and it's, you know, no harm, no foul. So I think that you take a chance at that and you take a little bit more of a swing at it. So I would say either Mike White or Derek Carr. That looks like the most obvious to me. People are going to throw out Tom Brady. I had no idea what's happening with Tom Brady. Uh Aaron Rodgers. I mean, for that contract to be traded, it feels like it'd be, it'd be a miracle. So I don't know about any yeah. of that, but those are, those are kind of my answers for that. Yeah, look, the, the dream is if you're a Jets fan or a Jets GM, yes, you'd love to get your hands on Rodgers, Brady, or Lamar. The more the most realistic top-end guy is probably Carr, and he's probably the most obtainable other than Jimmy G of any of the other guys. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, with the playoffs, like, look, it's going to be an exciting two weeks here. Obviously, a bunch of stuff. You guys will have everything on stock exchange. I know you have the you have stuff with PFF and, and everything like that, but appreciate you. Appreciate hopping on. Hopefully your bucks. Uh, I'm kind of rooting for Sam. Not going to lie this weekend. I regretfully have to tell you, but at the same time, it would be uh, it'd be pretty crazy if Brady gets in and then somehow wins a playoff game. It just, it feels like we're, we're trending towards the shittiest bucks team in 10 years, somehow figuring out how to, <laughs> and, you, and you, you and John Ledyard on my timeline, getting very excited on a on wild card weekend. Not uh, not only is it just the shittiest Bucks team to make the playoffs, but it would be the shittiest Tom Brady team that would still make the playoffs. Would just be uh, the perfect way for Tom Brady to uh, to end this season and maybe even his career. Who knows? So uh, look, it's obviously going to be a lot of fun between the mouth uh, lead. But uh, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thanks, man. And I, again, if the Patriots and Brady both making the Jets miss out, I'm going to need some uh, some off season help. Uh, but I appreciate it. And uh, make sure we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys on uh, I'll talk to you guys on Monday.